Acts 9, beginning at verse 20, let us read together, let us read aloud. Verse 20. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Shall we pray? Father, we do thank you and bless you for your presence among us as we gather in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do ask, for, Father, for the anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit. We ask for the wisdom and understanding and instruction, Lord, from your Spirit to enlighten us, Lord God, in these uh, words and in, in this particular passage of Scripture. We thank you, Father, that uh, we can look at this and, and see that even in this we can uh, learn and grow in, in, in a great way in, in loving you and serving you and in, in knowing, Lord God, that you are going to teach us wondrous things that will bring light, Lord, not only to our own lives, but to those who need you as we open ourselves to your light and let your light shine in us. We thank you and we bless you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Y'all may be seated. To a certain extent, the life of Saul of Tarsus was marked by many a letdown. Think about it for just a moment. Quite a few of his Jewish brethren had left the faith of his fathers to follow a man named Jesus from Nazareth. That was a letdown for Saul. He saw a continual increase in the number of Jews committing themselves to the assembly of people pursuing the lifestyle of this new way. Another letdown. The sect was growing. He observed not only the boldness by which they proclaimed this Messiah of theirs and his message, but also the genuine love by which they embraced each other in the name of this dead and false leader as he considered Jesus to be. Still another letdown. These people were committed with their lives. How much more was he let down by his own pride when he is met by Jesus on the road to Damascus? Not only is he let down, but then he's taken down by the light of the glory of Christ, never to be the same again. Blinded by the light, but very much aware of the power that surrounds him now, Saul is now led down the road by his confused companions into Damascus. And following three days of fasting and prayer in the house of a man named Judas, receives his sight as well as the anointing with the Holy Spirit through the obedience of a simple and ordinary man named Ananias. We are told that immediately Saul preached Christ in the synagogues. And I have to say that that immediate really meant immediate, immediately. As soon as he was able, he went to the synagogues. And as I said before, that Damascus had many Jews and therefore many synagogues where they assembled. And Saul was willing to go into these synagogues. But now he didn't go with the very intent that he had gone to Damascus in the first place. Now he was going to preach Christ. Because he was not one to sit still when there was work to be done, albeit with a new message. And please remember that Saul had come to Damascus with that original intention of, of destroying Christians. 
His reputation preceded him as one who violently opposed Jesus as Messiah. But now, having come to Jesus, he doesn't hide in a corner or try to pretend to be something he isn't. He goes to the people that he was trying to protect from Jesus and Christianity. And he tells them about Jesus. Notice again in verse 20, it says, Immediately he preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. What a turnaround. What a change in a life. I mean, we would consider that drastic, wouldn't we? That one day this Saul of Tarsus who was, who was breathing out threats and murders to Christians is now breathing forth the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what were the people in the synagogue expecting to hear from Saul? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? They had heard that Saul was coming. They had heard that Saul had, had the authority from the chief priests and the Sanhedrin to come and to gather up Christians and to take them back to Jerusalem to try them and, if possible, execute them. So what were they expecting Saul to say? They were probably ready to hear him denounce this new sect and its followers, regarded as heresy, with a fierce attack against a person named Jesus, who was executed as a common criminal on a tree, making him an accursed person. They were poised to hear Saul's demand for information leading to the identification and subsequent arrest of Jesus' followers within those very synagogues, by the way. That's what they were expecting. Instead, Saul, who would have been given the chief seat in the synagogue and handed the scroll for the daily reading, because he was, in fact, a person of great reputation, they would certainly say, and, and, and I'm sure that, that it was already known that Saul was, was probably one to be the great rabbi of Israel someday, a student of Gamaliel. They would hand him that scroll, have him seat in the, uh, sit in the, uh, in the chief seat in the synagogue, and take whatever the reading of that day would have been as his text thinking that he's going to now denounce this group of Jesus followers. And instead, with the text that he has before him, he preaches Jesus as the Christ to them. With proof, by the way, that Jesus was indeed not only the Christ, but the Son of God. Now I know that in the King James text and in the New King James text, it tells us that he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. And that is true, but that is teaching Christ knowing that it is Jesus. Because if he had just gone in to say, I am telling you that the Messiah is the Son of God, they would have all believed it. Because Messiah would be the Son of God. The fact of the matter is, he was telling them that it was Jesus who was the Christ who is the Son of God. And that is a very important thought here. This is the only place, by the way, in the book of Acts that we find this title, Son of God, applied to Jesus. But the Apostle Paul, as Saul would later become, would use it at least 15 times in his epistles. It was a very important theme in his life that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. And the people knew what this title meant. You see, in our day and time, there are, there are cults today that would say, no, Jesus was not God, but He was the Son of God. And that's what some of these cults would teach. But you see, they don't understand the mindset of the Jewish people, the mindset of those who knew the Hebrew Scriptures, to know that anyone called the Son of God would in fact be deity. Because to be called the son of someone meant that a person was totally identified with that person and their identity was the other's identity. In other words, when Jesus called himself the son of God or when others called him that, it was understood to be an obvious claim to his deity. It was an obvious claim that Jesus Christ was saying that he was God. I want you to consider in John chapter 5 verses 17 and 18. That it says, Jesus answered them and said, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. And therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So it's a false thing when a, when a person says, Jesus is not God, but he is the Son of God. 
Because that, that's a mis- total misunderstanding of what it meant to be the Son of God. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 26, at the trial of Jesus, in Matthew 26, verse 63, it says, But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Notice how he said, Christ, the Son of God. Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? Jesus said to him, It is as you said. What did he just say? What you just said is true. It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now we have heard his blasphemy. The very fact that he said that he was the Son of God was the blasphemy. So you cannot hold to this thing that says, well, Jesus is not God, but He is the Son of God. Well, no. Scripture says He is the Son of God. He's God. If they took our mindset, or the mindset of our time today, back then, then why would they have picked up stones to kill Him if He just said He was the Son of God? Nowadays, everybody's a Son of God in the New Age movement. Or, by the way, you're not even just the Son of God. You are God yourself. You can be God yourself if you want to be. Because there's all kinds of gods out there, right? The Bible tells us there's only one God. Only one God. So this would be Paul's view of Christ Jesus. This would be Paul's view of Jesus as Messiah, and being Messiah, that he was the Son of God. He was the Lord from heaven, the Son of God. Amazingly, Saul's eyes were open to be able to immediately see in the law, in the prophets, and in the Psalms, that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, and to proclaim that with clear biblical truth. Remember one thing, Saul was a tremendous theologian. Saul knew the scriptures from cover to cover. Saul probably had the scriptures memorized from cover to cover because he grew up in them. But now his eyes were opened and now he could see that everything that was pointing to Messiah was all about Jesus. So what is he going to preach in the synagogues? He preached Jesus. And that became Saul's message for the rest of his life. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is why it is important for us to study God's Word. This is why it is important for us to know it and to share it with others. Because they need to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is God, the Son as well. He is the hope of mankind. He is the one who came to die for the sins of men. He is the one. This is not a myth. This is reality. This is truth. This has been documented. This has been seen by many eyewitnesses and passed down to us today. There's no doubt who Jesus Christ is. The fact of the matter is, are we willing to believe that? Will we believe it? And so in verse 21 it says, And all who heard were amazed. They're hearing They're hearing Saul preach Christ. They're hearing Saul preach about Jesus as the Christ. They're hearing Saul preach about Jesus being the Son of God. And they're amazed. And they said, is this not he who destroyed those who called uh, on this name in Jerusalem, speaking of Jesus, and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. You see, he proved to them, he showed them from Genesis, I was going to say to Malachi, but in the Hebrew scriptures, Malachi is in the middle, and Second Chronicles is the last book, actually the book of Chronicles. So the whole Hebrew scriptures, he would prove to them that Jesus was the Messiah. And this amazed them. The word amazed here in the context of verse 21 means, and this is a great definition for the word amazed here, it means total astonishment that almost knocked them out of their senses. Total astonishment that almost knocked them out of their senses. I mean, they, they were struck right in, right between the kisser, you know. That Saul was preaching Christ in this manner and in this way. And so all they who heard Saul were astounded by his conversion, astounded by his testimony, finding it hard to believe just how powerfully Jesus could change a life. Wait a minute, this guy was coming to arrest Christians, not be a Christian. 
But that's what he was giving testimony of. Saul's willingness to serve the Lord the way that he did was certainly a contributing factor in his increasing in strength. By just getting up and being ready to go right straight, he was already filled with the Holy Spirit. He went into the synagogues with his wisdom and with the wisdom of God, his understanding of the Word and his wisdom from God. He was able to preach Christ from cover to cover. And this astounded them. He was growing in strength immediately. And it's important to note that, uh, you know, any of us as well who have come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, with whatever knowledge God gives us, sometimes the, the, sometimes the best preacher or the best evangelist, the one who has just freshly received Christ, eyes open, all of a sudden is able to say, this Jesus saved my life. The testimony may not be as, as grand or profound as Paul's may have been, but the very fact of the matter is we are just so burning with, with passion and love and desire for Jesus that we're ready to tell the whole world. And this is what Saul was doing. And he was growing in strength, it says. And he continued to confound the Jews. By the way, Paul used the same word for strength in speaking of Abraham's faith, as well as our strength against the enemy in many of his writings. I want to point to you uh, to Romans chapter 4, verse 20. I want you to look at this statement that he makes. This is about Abraham. Paul now, not, you know, I mean, Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul. But Paul now writes to, to the Romans, and he says in verse 20 of Abraham, he says, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Strengthened in faith. Within the word strengthen is, is the word dunamis. Uh, part of the word for strength is dunamis. The power that comes from God. The dunamis power of the Holy Spirit of God. And, and, and that's how we grow in strength. We're strengthened in faith. Giving glory to God. We don't waver. You see, that's the kind of faith that we need to have. Just like Abraham. The faith that didn't waver through unbelief. But is standing uh, uh, steadfast and firm in, in faith in God and in the glory uh, and giving the glory to the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 and 11, Paul uses the word again and he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. That word there. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Be strong in the Lord. That strength that comes from the Lord. God gives us that strength to be able to stand against the enemy. When we stand against the enemy, we are strengthened and we increase in that strength. Folks, when we stop praying, when we stop reading the Scriptures, when we stop serving the Lord, when all of these things start to collapse around us, we're not strengthened, we're getting weaker. When we're depending upon the Lord, when we're humbling ourselves before the Lord, when we're reading His Word, when we're praying, when we're trusting in Him for all things, when we know that He is our strength in the midst of trials and persecutions and tribulations, we are strengthened, not weakened. But we have to be steadfast in those things. And we have to know who our anchor is. Because there is an enemy. There is an enemy who wants to destroy us. There is an enemy who wants to weaken us. There is an enemy who wants to make us ineffective for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, be strengthened in the Lord. And this is why in Philippians chapter 4 verse 13, Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Same word. He really understood what it meant to be strengthened in faith. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now please understand the context of that statement. He, he says previously to this, he says, I have learned how to be abased and I've learned how to abound. You see, most of us just want to abound. Paul says, I've learned how to be abased and I can be abased through Christ who strengthens me. I can go through the trials, I can go through the persecutions, I can go through the, the hardships and the struggles and the letdowns in this life because Christ has strengthened me. I can do all things through Christ. All things involves good and bad, doesn't it? Don't you think? All things? Yeah, we all go through them, don't we? We go through all kinds of st stuff. <laughs> and He is the one who strengthens us to be able to do it. So as Saul increased in strength, he grew rapidly in the things of God. So his confounding of the Jews not only brought confusion, but it brought a stirring up. 
In other words, his conversion and ability to prove the deity and the messiahship of Jesus made a dramatic impact on that community. And I have to ask you, are you praying that God would give you the same kind of impact on the community where you are, the community where you serve, in in our homes, in our schools, in our workplace, in the marketplace? Are we able to have that kind of an impact because we are being strengthened and growing in the things of God? To be able to prove from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see what kind of an impact Saul made. There's something else that you have to understand here as well. But that the mantle of Stephen now had fallen on Saul. The mantle of Stephen had fallen on Saul. Remember Stephen? Saul was there when Stephen was was stoned to death. Saul was gathering the the robes and the cloaks of all those who were busy picking up stones to stone Stephen. He was approving of that stoning. Saul was there. Now the mantle of Stephen is placed upon Saul. If you look at verse 23 of our text, it says, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. The mantle is now on Saul. But their plot became known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And then the disciples took him by night and led him down to the wall in a large basket. The many days in verse 23 mentioned here could have been as long as two years. Luke is, of course, summarizing for us. But Paul would later give a more detailed explanation of this time gap here. If you'll turn to Galatians chapter 1 for just a moment, because I think it's important for us to see this, that those many days uh, in verse 23 were a considerable amount of time. Paul is giving somewhat of a testimony here in Galatians 1 verse 15 when he says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. He didn't go to any one person or any group of people to learn. And then we're told in verse 17, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. So he didn't go to Jerusalem immediately. It says, But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then notice the time gap. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So there was a returning to Damascus, which could have been within a matter of about two years. But then three years, after the third year, he went to Jerusalem to see Peter, it says, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So it would be a full three years from his conversion that he would return to Jerusalem. But it was probably at this time as well that the Jews started making plans to kill Saul throughout those three years. In verse 23, Saul was in Damascus after his ministry in the desert. And so they were watching the gates carefully, day and night, because they were going to seize him at the gates of the city. So the thought is, we've got him inside the gates once again. We're going to keep watch that he doesn't leave again. And we'll take him at the gates of the city. And we'll kill him. So Saul knew about this plot. Probably shared it with his friends and his brothers in Christ there in Damascus. And we're told in verse 25 that the disciples took him by night. And they led him down through the wall in a large basket. Well, here is Saul's main letdown from which the title of this message is taken. Saul's let down. He was let down at night through the wall in a large braided basket similar to the braided rope of a fisherman's net. So I mention that because I would have to say that as he's being let down this wall, he's not really protected too well from the wall. And then they, you know, they didn't have any some kind of masterful way of, 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 of you know, uh, 
pulleys and all kinds of stuff. They just let him down. So can you imagine? The, the walls of Damascus were considered to be pretty good-sized walls. So as they let him out of this window and he goes, you know, boom, 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 you know, he was really let down. Probably physically, you know, bumped around a little bit, you know. Probably better than getting killed at the gates of the city. But he's being bummed and, you know, okay, let him down a little easier. You know, and so, you know, Paul's getting, okay, you got it. That's just giving you a little picture of what it was probably like. So, would you ever think that serving the Lord could sometimes seem like a letdown? Saul serving the Lord. People want to kill him. His disciples want to help him. They're beating him up on the wall. Service to the Lord sometimes seems like a letdown. I want you to listen to the words of Paul. Now, Saul of Tarsus writing as Paul, the apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Follow along with me here in verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? He says, I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. Look at this list. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen. In perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. That's enough, isn't it? But then he says, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. I mean, if that isn't enough. And of course, you know, the, the beautiful heart that Paul had for the church. Through all of those things, and yet his deepest concern was for the churches. But if that isn't enough, listen to what he goes on to say about that particular night in Damascus. Let's read on, verse 29. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Listen and understand these, these particular words of Saul. He's saying... To our time in our day, we are oftentimes looking at ministers and missionaries and pastors and, and teachers as, as people who don't get weak, who don't, you know, burn with indignation, who seem, somehow seem to walk some kind of a perfect life, you know, just about a half a foot above the, the ground, you know, just kind of gliding in life, going here and there in some kind of perfect motion. Paul is saying, hey, who's weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. That's why it's so hard for us sometimes to take, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, sometimes ministers stumble, ministers fall. We don't want that to happen. That's why we need to pray for one another. Pray for our ministers. Pray for our pastors. Paul has given us reality here. And he says, if I must boast, verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which confirm, I'm sorry, which concern my infirmity. And then he says, the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. And then he says this in verse 32, in Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. Said even the governor was in on the plot. But I was let down <laughs> in a basket, <laughs> through a window, in a wall, <laughs> and escaped from his hands. Now, I'm sure that's, this list is not in chronological order, but he does mention his escape from Dam Damascus at the end of the list. Because there is no doubt that if you serve the Lord... There will be times that the ministry itself will seem to be a letdown. There are those times of wondering whether you're really hearing from the Lord. There are those times when you may be doubting your calling. 
There are those times when you may feel you're not affecting anyone or even advancing the kingdom of God. There are those times when you put your heart into the very message of God and you look around and everybody's looking at you, not like you are today. But looking at you like, hurry up. What do you say? Who's playing at what time? There are times when quitting seems a viable option. But let me ask you a question. Did God save you to work? Just listen to the question. Did God save you to work? Or did He save you to work on you? Did God save you to work? Or did He save you to work on you? Did He save you to make you perfect? To put you in a museum or a trophy case? Or did He save you so that you might be perfected in fellowship with Him? You see, He didn't save any of us just to get some cheap labor to do His work for Him. You know why? Because He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He saved us because He loves us. He truly loves us. I want you to listen to Paul's assessment of all of this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. You all are mostly familiar with this, I think, and probably use it when you share the gospel with people. But it's this passage that that we need to be awakened to this morning. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship. We are His workmanship. We are His poema. P-O-E-M-A. That's the word in the Greek. It's the word from which we get poem from. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The, 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 the good works have been created beforehand. But we are to walk in them because we're His workmanship. He didn't create us to work for Him. Although we do. In those good works that He's already prepared. We're His workmanship. He's changing us day by day into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, it's easy. It's easy to move forward when things are going well, isn't it? You all agree with me? It's it's just easy to go forward when things are going just... Dandy. <laughs> but when things are let down, we need perseverance. When things are let down, we need faith to persevere. James says in James 1 verses 2 through 6, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's a hard thing to do if we just stay, you know, stuck on that one verse. Count it a joy when we face trials? Well, let's read on. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Well, that's the one thing it tells us here in the Scriptures we ought to be asking for. How many of us ask every day for the wisdom of God? I do. By the very fact that he says it's, you know, he gives to all liberally, freely. I don't have wisdom of my own, any good wisdom anyway, to get through these days in which we live. 
So I use this scripture. If any of you lacks wisdom, uh, that's me. Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. We're going to go through those times of letdowns. We're going to go through those times of, of, of serious concerns and doubts in our lives. And then think about this. What about being let down by other Christians? Ooh. Trampling on some sacred ground here. What about being let down by other Christians? Well, you know what? Just ask Saul. Look at verse 26 of Acts chapter 9. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem... After being, you know, bumped down the wall in Damascus, and finally when he gets down, he makes his way, you know, kind of like this, to Jerusalem. But he gets to Jerusalem. What does it say? When he saw they come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. That's a letdown. Some of us would be angry at those disciples. Why those guys, those hypocrites, they say they're Christians and here they are not, not accepting me, not letting me in, not believing that I'm a Christian now. It's a letdown, isn't it? Big time. But let's face reality. And let's face this reality. Christians are going to let you down time and again. Please don't say amen. Just, just wait for the next statement. Christians are going to let you down time and again. But remember this. You are going to let Christians down again and again too. You're going to let down Christians also. We've all done it. Even when we didn't realize we were doing it, we've oftentimes let Christians down. We all made promises we didn't keep. We've all said we'd do one thing, we didn't do it. We've all been there. Sometimes we said things that offended somebody, but we didn't know about it. And by the way, sometimes when that happens, you know what happens? People become unbiblical, and they do unbiblical things. And they'll hear something they don't like in church, and they'll get up and they'll leave, and they'll never tell you that you said something that offended them. And that's a sad thing, because the Lord told us that if somebody hurts us or offends us, we should go to them privately. And get this thing cleared, cleared up. Happens too often in the church. Don't like something here, you go someplace else. You don't learn anything by doing that, folks. We're going to be let down. But the best way to get, overcome that is to do what the Bible says. To do what the Lord says. And you go. Before you offer any kind of a sacrifice unto the Lord, or before you offer a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, clear those things up with the people that are hurting. We're going to let people down. But who is going to be like Barnabas? Who will be like Barnabas? Because that's what it takes in the church to overcome these letdowns. Please look, if you will, at verse 27 of the text. It says, But Barnabas... But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas took Saul and believed that Saul had changed his life. Believed that something had happened in him that was totally significant now. That it wasn't some, some kind of a, of a false conversion. It was a true conversion. And he takes him and he brings him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. And that he had spoken to him. And how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so he was with them at Jerusalem. Because of Barnabas, he was with with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. In other words, he had relationship and fellowship with the disciples and the apostles because of one person who stood up and did the right thing in the middle of a letdown. Barnabas brought peace. And so he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. Do you remember that I said that the mantle of Stephen had fallen now on Saul? Well, look at this. 
He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Let's get back to Barnabas for just a moment. I suppose any of us would have been suspicious of Saul even three years after his conversion. But what happened? What happened to the apostle's spirit of discernment? Peter, after Pentecost, had such great discernment about things, but what happened here? Well, Peter's human, isn't he? And sometimes that fear kind of arises when you look at somebody like Saul. You remember Elijah, don't you? Elijah could face 400, you know, uh, what is it, 850 prophets, you know, that, of Baal, and yet, uh, what? <laughs> uh, right after that, you know, he's afraid of Jezebel, one woman. Human. What happened to the apostle's spirit of discernment? It seems that none was willing to investigate the testimony of Saul. They were afraid and they were in a state of unbelief. Maybe Saul was part of, a, of an elaborate plot to bury the church for good. He'll act like he's a Christian now. He'll infiltrate the church. Hogwash. Just ask him about all the bumps and bruises and the plots in Damascus. Just as the Lord used deacons, table servers to blaze trails into Samaria and Ethiopia, He once again used an ordinary church member named Barnabas to take the initiative with Saul. Just somebody who will say yes to the Lord and say, Lord, we'll bring peace here. Barnabas took him, it says, and brought him to the apostles. He declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. In other words, I've heard his testimony. This is a true testimony. Barnabas simply extended the love of Jesus to Saul. And how this had to have shaped Saul's understanding as the Apostle Paul. How this had shaped Paul's understanding of God's love when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. With Barnabas, love believes all things, and he believes Saul. Initially, Saul had only spent time with Peter and James. But now, he was welcomed into the family of the followers of Jesus. I have mentioned earlier that that mantle of Stephen had fallen on Saul. Well, in verses 29 and 30, he confronts the very people who had engineered the trial and death of Stephen, who... He happened to be a part, as we said before. But this tells us a lot about the heart of the Apostle Paul. To go right into the face of the Hellenists. The very same people from which he was. To prove to them from the Scriptures, as Stephen had done to them, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. He wasn't afraid to go right into the lion's den, as it were. Because he went in the boldness of the Holy Spirit. He went in the boldness that comes through knowing Christ. And now his new brothers in Christ want to save him because he's in trouble again. Was this going to be another letdown? He was in trouble again. They wanted to save him. In effect, they wanted to make life easier for everyone too. Why? Because Saul was stirring up the Hellenists and of course the Christians were going to suffer because of it. So they decided to send him away. And it wasn't that they were just concerned about themselves. They truly were concerned about Saul. It says in verse 30, When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So from Philip's home in Caesarea, there on the coast 
of the Mediterranean, they sent Saul home to Tarsus on a ship. And what would have been and could have been 12 years, anywhere from about 10 to 12 years, would pass in Saul's life before he would again enter into prominent ministry. It's a long time, isn't it? I'm not saying that he didn't do ministry in those years in Tarsus. But it wasn't prominent, as we'll see throughout the rest of the book of Acts. But Barnabas again playing a role in Saul's missionary endeavors. For it was Barnabas, as we'll see later in Acts 13, that brings Saul to Antioch and, of course, we see Saul sent out from there. But was this time a letdown for Saul, those 10 to 12 years? Could have been shorter, maybe anywhere from 7 to, to 10 years. But was this a time of a letdown for Saul? Almost like being put on a shelf, as it were, you know, in ministry. Is it a letdown when the Lord pulls us aside for a time? You know, we all have to look beyond our Tarsus, because we all have those times. Tarsus was that time for, for Paul. It was that time for him to listen to the words of the Lord who said, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. He already spent a few years in the, in the Arabian desert with Jesus. Now he was in Tarsus, in his own hometown, waiting. Just waiting. Sometimes we look at it as a letdown. We have to look beyond our Tarsus. And remember that the Lord is not done with us. The Lord is not done with us here. Just because we're sitting, waiting. It's a good time for us to grow. It's a good time for us to listen to the Lord. Paul understood this because he writes in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 and says, Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He was one who knew that. If the Lord began a work in me, he's going to complete it. But he had to learn that in Tarsus. We oftentimes have to learn that ourselves. At the end of his life, he writes to Timothy in his last letter. And in 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, he says to Timothy, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. If God puts you aside for a time, it's not a letdown. It is a time to wait on the Lord so that you will fulfill your ministry. He's begun a work in you. He will complete it until the day of Christ. It's not a letdown. And lastly, let's remember that even when we may be let down, Jesus will always be building up. If we are waiting on Him, if we are focused upon Him, if we are still to know that He is God, He is going to be building us up at that very time, even when we think we're being let down. But think about this, verse 31, our last verse here. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. Did you notice that they had peace... And they were edified. The word edified means to be built up. They were being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. There's the key. There's the thing. The fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the fear of the Lord. Being comforted in the Holy Spirit. When we see that, there is building going on. There is multiplication taking place. The persecution had not stopped. It's not as if to say, well, Saul is in Tarsus now. We have peace. Saul is a Christian now. We have peace. No. Persecution at that time historically got worse for the church. The persecution had not stopped, yet they had peace in the midst of persecution. Because in the heat of growing opposition, the church of Jesus Christ continued to grow in numbers and in strength. They were edified, and it carries the idea that they were being built up. And when the Lord's people are walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, you can be sure that multiplication will follow. Walking in the fear of the Lord. In other words, not walking in the fear of man. Walking in the fear of the Lord. 
receiving comfort not so much from man but from the Lord himself through the Holy Spirit realizing that he comforts us inside first before he comforts us anywhere else the comfort is knowing that he's always with us he said I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you I'll be with you to the very end of the age I will be with you I'm not going to leave you God doesn't detach himself from us sometimes we try to detach ourselves from him but he says I'll never leave you as with Saul, we will have our Damascus led downs. As with Saul, we'll have our Jerusalem led downs. Not to mention even our own Tarsus led downs, being set aside, being put aside, being put on a shelf, as it were. But just remember that the Lord is busy building you and building others. When He has you aside, what is He doing? If you're listening to Him, if you're reading His Word, if you're studying His Word, if you're praying, if you're seeking the face of God, if you're being still to know that He is God, guess what? He's building you up. He's preparing you. Those years that Saul waited on the Lord were great preparations for the rest of the book of Acts. Because for the most part, we're going to see Paul's ministry to the very end. He was building him. And the Lord is building us as we wait on Him, as we walk in the fear of the Lord, as we receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Wait on the Lord while you serve Him, trusting Him in all things. Wait on the Lord. It's not a letdown. It's not a letdown. Be thankful that you haven't had to, been, had to have been let down on the side of a wall in a fisherman's net. But we've gone through other things, haven't we? We've gone through other letdowns. Unfortunately, it's a lot of letdowns of our own making. And we have to be careful about that. All the letdowns that Saul had involved life and death situations. Many of our letdowns don't even come close to that. Maybe we ought to, we ought to rethink how we look at things. And start loving one another like Barnabas, the son of encouragement, loved Saul to bring him to the church, to bring him to the apostles, to bring him to the fellowship that he needed so badly. I leave you with Isaiah 40, verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you want to be strengthened by the Lord? Do you want to be strengthened in your faith? I hope you do. I hope that you didn't come here just to hear some words and then say, well, that was nice. I want to be strengthened like Saul was strengthened. Strengthened in faith. Growing in the Lord. We all have room to grow. Let's grow together in God's Word. Let's grow together in the love of Christ. Let's grow together in picking each other up from those letdowns of this life. And let's walk together in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.